So tonight we turn the corner, we look at God's love for us. The brothers had a lesson this past week that was meant to be an overwhelming lesson. And as we looked at Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, where Jesus says, what is the greatest command? Here it comes. Buckle up. Love God with all you've got. And then the other is like it. Love your neighbor just as you love yourself. On, on this, all of the laws hang. And as, as we contemplate that idea, it's a massive idea, one that is beyond any of us and one that we fail at again and again. And what we looked at last week is if that's the greatest command, then might not it also be perhaps one of the greatest sins to break that? You know, sometimes I think the greatest sin is murder or immorality or, but, but, but really, what is really such a failing than to not love God and to really have our selfless service directed towards him in a reciprocal manner after all he's done for us. And the opposite of love, by the way, we, we talked about last week, is not hate. So the sin is not hating God. And the opposite of loving someone is not hating them. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is apathy. To just have a whatever attitude towards God or toward one another. Meh. You know, nice, nice. Not thrilling, but nice. Good on you, God. I'll look at your word when I get a chance. We'll see how that goes. Devotional time, good idea, sure. But we'll see when that works in. That's, that's, that's cute of you to ask. Thank you. Right? I mean, that's, that's the opposite of love is just the absence of love. And anyway, very convicting message last week. I know even for me to contemplate. And we, we kind of left it with, but by the way, extremely convicting. We get it. But the reason that we even have such a high command from Jesus, an over-the-top command is not because we're going to grit this out and make our knuckles even more white from the tighter grip that we have to try to stay the course. But the reason that this happens is given to us beautifully by what John says, the Apostle John. And go ahead, turn with me over to 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 4, he has the famous phrase. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. But I'll... I'll just reference a verse that we'll look at quite a bit in the next few weeks. We love because he first loved us. What is in any way the fuel that allows us to be able to have any love? It all has a genesis. It has an origin story. Your love for God, your love for one another, when you became this superhero of sorts that is able to extend a a proper, reciprocal, proportional love to Creator God, that superpower comes not because you got bit by a radioactive spider, but because God intervened in your life. God, because of His great love with which He loved you, in His mercy, made you alive even though you were dead in sin. Right. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Uh, it, it is because of that, and but now... Those are just words on a page, and, and sometimes they become more. And what we need to do, if, if it's going to become more, is that we need to really familiarize ourselves with the verses that speak about God's love for us. 
Many of them are up on the website. Let me encourage you, make that your scripture bank. Make that part of the way that you allow the gospel to wash over you as you contemplate who God is. The, the concept of a, of a mighty God, as Zephaniah delineates in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. That would be a frightening phrase from a prophet, by the way, to, to hear, especially all that he prophesies. A mighty one who will save. Amen. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That's a beautiful picture. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Wow. How, how does that even play itself out? The creator of all life, of the cosmos, rejoicing over you with gladness, exalting over you in song. What a delight that displays of God for you. Some of the more familiar ones, of course, but God shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a demonstration of love and then some. We, we will not uh, miss out on, on being able to look at the depth of that. But, but I want to look at tonight just a, a, a quick view of John. John, the apostle of love. John, the apostle that Jesus loved. And to be able to recognize, first of all, what John's love looked like. And we, we know that John was the apostle that had to persevere longer than the others. He lived until about 95, 96 AD. Most of, the, of his uh, peers, his, his brothers in, in, in arms, the, the, the other apostles, they all pretty much expired by about 65 AD. So John is now quite the old man heading into the 90s and maybe into his own 90s as well, if not his 80s, as he is not only in exile over in Patmos, he comes back, he's in Ephesus. But while he's an older man back in Ephesus, there is a, a, a story that abounds throughout the early church literature. David Berceau uh, captures this, but, but the early church actually writes about this pretty abundantly. And John had converted a, a young man. And when he came back to the church after his exile, he asked about this young man and where he was. And alas... The young man had fallen in with criminals, with brigands, with outlaws. And when appearing upon this, that this man had, had not only fallen in with these outlaws, but he had actually become one of the kind of the gang leaders of this really dangerous group. And travel, everything, so difficult at that time because bandits would, would, would I mean, it, it's what the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is about. As, as, you know, kind of unsavory characters kind of catch you unawares on the road, rob you and, you know, take your plunder. But anyway, this, this fella, instead of now still living out his Christianity in John's absence, has gone to, to be not only part of, but even leading this, this riotous group. Uh, immediately upon hearing it, all were astounded at John immediately dropping everything and heading off into the mountains where this notorious gang was, was said to, to be holed up. Uh, and as an older man, 
it was a rigorous climb for him to be able to get there. But he, but he went with, with, such, with such intensity. He went without sword. He went without anything, without much provision at all. Uh, made his way there. Was accosted by some of the most intimidating of all characters. Stared them all down. Expressed an uncompromising confidence with, with every interaction that they had. That they couldn't help but, but usher him in to, to see the, the very chieftain of this group. Who, who was the young man that had been his son in the faith at one point in time. And the man upon, upon seeing him simply melted at the sight of John. Not just because he saw the man that had changed his life, but because he realized any other person never would have made it past any of the other kind of peripheries of, of where it was that, that their um, gang had, had spent their, 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 their hideout time. Uh, and, and he realized that he had risked so much, but it also had overcome so much. And the thing that really astounded him is, what is it? What is it that makes you so passionate, so energetic, so confident? What is it that allows you to have such reckless abandon? How is it that you can shed your inhibitions and be able to just run straight towards this kind of a love? And John simply said to him, because I know that I'm a child of God and I am loved by him. What could I not do? And that's what we see when we read John's writings. We see how it is that John can live the way that he lived. And look with me in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John has spent chapter 1 talking about the, the, the great fellowship that we have with Christ uh, what it is to know God throughout chapter 2, warnings against compromising in any way. But then in chapter 3, he subtly pivots and begins to sing emotionally with a phrase that if we could kind of hear it from his own voice and in his own way, we would appreciate it. The NIV at least gives it the exclamation mark that it deserves based on the way the language is laid out in the original language. But this one verse, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Now, I got to be honest, before starting to try to study all of this out, this is the stuff that I would read in the Bible. And I would just be like, uh, yeah, 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 that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. Is there a sin I should avoid somewhere? Or maybe a command I should obey? Rather than just this, oh, the wonders and the love and the beauties and the dimensions of the great God. Right? I'm like, yeah, nice, nice. But, but come on, give me, give me something I can kind of put a, put a handle on and that can kind of take me through the day. To my shame, though. To my shame, because I want to simply have an action plan where I can get after it. But here's why in some ways. Because when I do something, I have a confidence that now God is going to be more pleased with me. And, and as we mentioned with the brothers last week, the, the motives of fear or pride that could come into place of obeying God's commands or even disobeying His commands. But that is exactly the heart of it. And I, I realized that I am not a gospel-transformed man 
when, when that is the attitude I have, when I bump up against John's heart, and when he begins to sing and to emote to this degree, it's like, I am not on the same page as this man. And I got to begin to appreciate that, as do we all, if Christianity is meant to have the gospel impact that it's meant to have on every one of us. And as we, as we look at this, we, we, we see a man not who's looking to put God in his debt, but we see a man instead who is astounded that he can never, ever make good on the debt that God has paid in him. Now, when I get a, an action scripture, right? Go make disciples. Uh, or you know, you know, do, do not look at a woman lustfully. Or you, you, you pick any of the kind of the classic stuff that's there. Like, all right, you watch. Watch my steam today. But, but here's the thing. Is if, if I do it, two things come to my mind most of the time. And I don't admit it. I don't say it out loud. But I know it's what is going on inside of me. When I do it, there's, there's a couple of things. One is I feel like, all right, you know what? God is going to be more pleased with me. Or at least less displeased than he ought to be based on my, my, my recent track record. So that's good. But then here's the uglier part. God maybe will be in my debt. Right? Like, I want my family to do well. So if I start obeying, maybe my family will actually do better in Christ. I'd, I'd, I'd love for our region to, to really you know, have effective work in God. And maybe if I'm more holy, maybe if I pray more, maybe if I share more and I'm more loving, then you know, maybe if I do all of that, then God recognizes, well, look, Ed's done all this. Certainly I need to throw him a bone at least, right? And come on, let's, uh, let's see a breakthrough in his family. Let's see a breakthrough for, for the region here. Let's see the church flourish a bit more. And I, I don't know if you think that way, but this, this comes into play more times than I want to really admit to myself. Uh, or even the worst of them all, I think, is the depth of insecurity of, all right, if I do this, all right, maybe today, as far as today is concerned, I'm not going to hell. All right, good. Whew. All right, I'm not going to hell. I, I feel better at the end of that. That doesn't actually come into play because I don't have an accused personality. I have very much an excused personality. Uh, you know, so I'm not insecure about whether I'm, you know, going to hell or not. I actually don't. That doesn't come to mind uh, for, for me. I know with an accused personality that, that could come into mind for you all. That's why this is so important as, as well. I, I probably doubly important for you if you have that kind of a, a, a disposition. But. In, instead of trying to put God in our debt, I think it's a, it's a good thing to remember what C.S. Lewis said. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Uh, that Also, when we think about this love that God has for us, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. The words there that he uses is this see what sort, what type, what, what manner of love. It's the same word, by the way, that's used in Luke 7 when Simon is being critical of Jesus. And he says, does he not know what manner of woman this is? What, what class of woman this is? It's, it's that same idea that there's maybe different... Um, compartments or buckets of understanding love. And, and what John is saying here, 
this is a mold-breaking, transforming type of love that has landed upon us. And also, it's one thing to say, see what great love that God has loved us with, but to say lavished upon us. It's not an often familiar way, even in the original language, to talk about love. You know, I, I talk about I love Debbie, but I, I don't really say that I, I, lavish, I lavish love uh, upon her. Uh, I mean, we, we see it in the Bible, so sometimes we say it a bit, but it's not normal course. And in the way that John is saying it here is also that there is this class of love that would make your knees go weak if you could begin to comprehend it. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, as the NIV gets. But, but not only is there, is, is there this, this version of love that, that exists, that is coming your way, but it has been heaped upon you with so much volume, you couldn't even begin to, be, to, to even comprehend what has come your way. And, and what is it that he's done in lavishing this sort of great love upon you? Is that he has confirmed it. You are his children. Amen. You are his very children. And again, we, we have you know, dysfunctional families. We, we, we know all this. But think about the best moments. Either you as a parent or perhaps even your parent with you. The best of those moments that that's, that's the love that, that, that God has for us. That's the identity that you have. That's the access that you have to God. You know, we've, we've joked before about the passage where Jesus says, you need to have an audacious tenacity in your relationship with God because he's your father. When you pray, pray like this father. And when you pray like that, you do it with an, an audacious tenacity, a shameless audacity is what should really mark the way that you have an interaction with God the Father. Nobody talked like that. God the Father was not someone that you could access that way. It was someone that you would revere. And it, it, he was a consuming fire. It was, it was someone that would, you know, again, demand your fear and respect. But John is going to tell us in, in the next chapter that this love, this great love lavished upon us, it absolutely eclipses any fear. Fear is useful. It disrupts you. It clears your mind. It focuses you on the right things. But once you're focused, everything that we need to be thinking about now is this sort version of love that has come upon you like a dump truck dumping it all upon you. And you rise from it a child of God Amen. with all of the benefits therein. You know, if, if, you're, if you're the child of someone, the, the, the only way that you can make such demands like that is because you're a child. If, if any of you, you know, came you know, banging on my door, banging on my door, saying, Ed, 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 I, you know what? I, I need something. I need something. I'm like, what? 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 He's like, you know, can, I just need a glass of milk. Right? I mean, if Paul Hutchins, whom I love... You know, came over to my house, is banging, 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 banging on my door. I wouldn't think that's cute. <laughs> I, I wouldn't at all. I, I don't think Paul would think it's cute either. Like if it was, really did happen, I think we would both think that's really awkward. 
And maybe I can use this in a sermon illustration someday. That's about the only value to this at this moment right now. You just need to go home. You're a very confused man. And may God have mercy on your soul. Right? I mean, that would be the interaction. But, but what if it's Caleb who comes through the door? Right? Then I'm like, then I melt. I, I melt. Of, oh, of course, yeah. I'm so, you don't feel good. What's going on? Come on, let's, let's get you. Like, oh, my son actually needs my help still. Oh, come on. Amen. That's great. He can press me over his head at this point in time, but he needs a glass of milk. So, hey, amen. Isn't that, isn't that true? Right? But I mean, that's, that's what John has in mind here is this kind of intimacy of, of wonder. You know, every little thing that, that, that Caleb did as a child, I, I remember, you know, just as a, a little baby, and he, he barely in the stroller, and Deb and I would walk him up and down Great Neck Road, and, and, and we would also have Christy, who was our dog at the time, uh, with us, and, and as we would walk with Christy, and I remember just like the littlest thing, like Caleb would reach out his hand and grab Christy's leash, and it was about all he could do. He's like, you know, one, one and a half years old. But I remember, like, Deb and I both like, like, oh my goodness, look at that. What a grip. So talented. Look at the eye-hand coordination. That leash was probably like going all over the place. And he was able to grab it. And, you know, I mean, we lose our minds over everything. I mean, Debbie took, like, I can't tell you how many pictures. She sent him into all these, like, agencies and all these, like, cutest babies on earth competitions that were going on. It's like, she was like, I really think he's going to win. I really think he's going to win. Like, there's no baby this beautiful. Right? And maybe, maybe not, but nonetheless, this is not about, like, your child. This is about you. Right? This is about Judy on Wednesday night. Like, this is, this is how God views Judy as he gathers her into his arms. Like, oh, look at cute little Judy. Oh, my goodness. Right? I mean, all that, that, that precious adornment. And, and you know what? Yes, you will do wrong and you will stumble and you'll be annoying. And uh, all of that will go down. And you'll, you'll wake up late for the bus and you'll have to be driven 17 minutes down to your school. Yes, that'll happen again and again and again. But you know what? You're always going to be the delight of God. You're always going to be his child. It's always the confirmation of God again and again. So that John can really say with exclamation mark upon exclamation mark. Behold! Behold this sort, this version of a dear, precious, passionate, rapturous love that God has for you. That he places upon you communicates to you death of his son, rearrangement of all covenants, arranging time and place and kingdoms just for you. Why? Because you're his child. And now that you're reborn of his very spirit, thus you will always be. Bad days, good days, you are still his child. He still wants you to give the to give you the glass of milk. He still wants to marvel over your little hand grabbing the leash. Uh, he, he still thinks that you're the, the cutest thing that you could have ever imagined. That when he sees you, he's flooded with love. This is, the, this is what John is trying to say here. It's one of those verses that maybe kind of goes pale once we get it. But there's a reason why it's exclamation mark, exclamation mark that, that is given to us. And it's just a, a tiny little snippet of how it is that John was able to live with such vigorous abandon. Why John was able to fly 80, 90 years old up through those mountain passes to, to be able to confront whatever dangers may come. No, no worries to him. 
Why? Because he was a man fueled by a confidence that he was a child of God. A child of God loved through and through and through. This is who you are. This is what you remind yourself of. This is what drives us. This is what gives us our superpowers. This is why we do what we do. This is why we can be the body of Christ. This is why we can actually be tasked by God to do nothing less than change the world. He's not going to call us to change the world, which by the way he does, if he's not first giving us this kind of superpower confidence about who we are and what it is that we're all meant to do. Amen. Let's go ahead and break to our groups.